This week's parasha is parasha for A. At the beginning of the parasha, the Torah says, "Re'ei anoichi noisein lefnechem hayayim bracha uklalo." Behold, see that I am giving before you today bracha uklalo, giving you a choice in life of bracha versus klalo. And the mefarshim are I made on the switch in the Pasuk from Lashon Yachid to Lashon Rabin, Re'eh is a Lashon Yachid. I'm talking to an individual. See. And then, just two words later, Anoichi Naisein Lifneichem. I am giving before you. Lifneichem is a Lashon Rabin. Are we talking to the individual? Or are we talking to the Tzibor? And many Mepharshim have many different approaches to solving this problem. And I found a very beautiful chat from Rabbi Yosef Freimer. Rabbi Yosef Freimer was a, a Rav of the city of Slutsk. Slutsk was a very famous city in Europe. Uh, the Beis Halevi served as a Rav in the city of Slutsk. And... This Rabbi Yosef Feimer, Rabbi Yosef was known as, he says the following beautiful pshat. There's a Gemara in Kedushan on Daf Memma Medbez. The Gemara says, Osa mitzvah achas. If a person performs a single mitzvah, Asherav, Shehechriya es atzmai ve'as kol ha'olam l'kav s'chus. He's fortunate Every time we do a single mitzvah, as an individual, you don't know what you're accomplishing. You think that you're just merely getting a check in Shemayim for yourself. But it's not true. You're not only being zeicha yourself and saving yourself, but you're also tipping the scales of the entire world. L'kapschus. The Rambam in Hilchas Tshuva, which was a very timely Rambam to speak about on Erev Rosh Chaydesh Elul, says a similar thing, that a person has to always look at himself as if he's Chatzai Zakai V'chatzai Chayev. I don't know where I'm holding in my accounting in Shamayim, but you always have to see yourself as being 50-50. And if you sin a single sin, you will not only doom yourself, but potentially you will doom the entire universe. Maybe the entire universe as well is only in the balance. And maybe because you're doing an Aver that will tip the scales of the universe to Chayva and create untold damage and destruction and the Rambam continues and he says that if you do one mitzvah then you could be machria yourself your own personal scales in Shemayim but the entire world hangs in the balance of every single mitzvah that we do and so Rabbi Yosef Mislutsk says 
that this is the Pshat and the Pasuk. Re'ay, you have to see for yourself that I'm giving you bracha and klala. But don't just look at yourself as an individual, but take it a step further and understand that you yourself are not an individual. You are lefnechem. You are at Sibor, because whatever you do with your life, every single decision that we make, every single day and every single moment of the day, we have the ability to change the world either for the better or for the worse. Re'eh is one step, but you have to realize that it's Lufnechem. Our decisions, if we know that we're not just being responsible for ourselves, we're not just spinning the dice for ourselves but really we are affecting the Rabbim the Tzibor that will affect every decision that we make if we understand how society depends upon everything that we do then we not only are going to be conscious of our own actions but we'll be conscious of our own actions in a general way as well This is something that's very, very important for us to all know. That we're not yechidim in life. When we're young children, we believe that everything is about me. Everything is about me. I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I want to go here, and I want to go there, and I don't want to do this, and I do want to do that. Everything is about me. You don't have concern for how it affects anybody else how what you do is going to perhaps impact on others around you, I'm a katan. The definition of a gadol, the definition of somebody that's mature, is that they understand that they are not only responsible for their own individual lives, but that there are ripple effects. There are consequences to the general tzibor at large. Whatever I do, if I do something positive, that will not only be positive for me, but it will be positive for my chavrusa, for my shir, for my yeshiva, for my community. And when I do something negative, I have to make a cheshman before I do that, before I sin. How is this going to affect other people? A person is not a yachid. A person is a rabbin. And this is what maturity is all about. To realize that I'm not alone. I have to be aware of my surroundings and how everything that I do influences it. I want to tell you a story about Rabbi Yisif Mislutsk. If this is his vart, then he's the member of this Yisait that a person has to see himself not only as a yachid, as a re'eh, but lufnechem. And I always like when I can to try to figure out what compelled the Gadol who wrote this Pirush to, to say such a thing. Obviously, we're all a product of our lives. And often, when you see a Pshat, it's not just a Pshat that you know, was pulled from Shemayim, it was a Pshat that was perhaps autobiographical. Rabbi Yosef Mislutsk is one of the most fascinating people in recent history, the last few hundred years, to me at least. Because there's a great story that I remember my Rebbe in ninth grade used to tell me about Rabbi Yosef Mislutsk. And 
it's a story that if I wouldn't have heard from my Rebbe, you probably wouldn't be allowed to say it about somebody. And my Rebbe didn't make it up himself. He has a, he had a Messiah from Rebarach Bar. Rebarach Bar used to say over this mice about Rebbe Yosef Mislutsk. When Rebbe Yosef Mislutsk was a little child growing up in the city of Slutsk, he was a very big menace. He was a troublemaker. He was like a real juvenile delinquent. And he would always be thrown out of yeshiva. He would be being mazik people, spray-painting people's garages and throwing balls through people's windows. He was a real terror. He was one of those kids that you just didn't want anything to do with. I'll never forget, once I was in uh, recruiting in Eretz Yisrael, and I was speaking in a yeshiva, it was a yeshiva that's no longer existent, which is probably a good thing. Um, it was a, a very, I don't know, some, some yeshivas we go to to recruit, and some yeshivas we go to just because there's no real reason to go. We're not getting anyone from there. We don't want anyone from there. But we go because, you know, it's on the list of places that we should be going to. So this was such a place. There was zero chance that any of those guys were ever going to come to yeshiva here. And, yeah, so, so I was giving a talk, and I think I was saying this story about Rabbi Yisrael Mislotsk. And there was this kid during my speech, and he was, I don't know, he had like a soda bottle, but it was like a frozen seltzer bottle. And my whole speech was like banging that seltzer bottle on the table. And I'm very, very easy, easily annoyed. Like, you know, I need like complete quiet when I'm talking in general. But like, and like he kept on banging. I kept giving him dirty looks and it wasn't helping. As much as I was like trying to stare him down, like he was just not stopping. It was like banging and banging and banging. And he was wearing a t-shirt. And the t-shirt said on it, I'm the kid that your mother warned you about. <laughs> and it's true, you know, you have to, when people wear t-shirts, you have to pay attention to what they're wearing because it's really, it's, it, they're telling you something, they're crying, they're screaming, they're, it's like a, it's a public video or something when a person wears a, a t-shirt. So, so I looked at this kid, I said, you see that t-shirt that he's wearing? And like, then he stopped banging for a second, which was good, you know, I, even just to get him to stop for a minute was a good thing. Um, I said, that's the t-shirt that Yosef Mislutsk wore when he was a kid. And he felt good then, you know, that he was part of the story, he was part of history now. So he stopped, he slowed down the bottle uh, a little bit. And that was Yosef Mislutsk. Yosef Mislutsk, any time that he had the ability to cause trouble, he would, he would go from doing one bad thing to another bad thing, and the whole town knew that Yosef Mislutsk, this Yasala, they used to call him. He was the biggest terrorist, ter- terrorist that you know that Slutsk had ever met. And the story goes that he was one day, you know, playing hooky from school, and he was walking down a street, and there was an apartment with an open window, first floor window, and Yasu was just walking and you know skipping along, and he hears the father screaming at his son. How could you do this? And don't you uh, don't you know that it's embarrassing for the family? And is this really the type of son that I want to raise? 
And then he says the punchline. He says, are you trying to be Yasala? Is that your role model? Yasala of Slutz, that's what you're trying to be? That's your aspiration? You want to be just like Yasala? And Yasala was walking down the block. And he heard this. And all of a sudden, like it was like a life-altering moment. He says, you know, I know that I'm... I myself, I'm, you know, I got issues, but I didn't know that, that, that people used me as like the poster boy of bad behavior. I didn't know that I was like the muscle that every, every father is like davening to the Rebbeinu don't make my kid like Yasala. I didn't know that every parent has to like slap his kid, you know, silly and say, if you ever act like Yasala again, you know, you're finished. I didn't realize that I was such a mashpia on other people. I thought that I was just being a mazik, but I was doing it like sort of in a nice, sweet way. I didn't know that people people are, are watching me and observing me and that the whole town is talking about me. And this changed his life. At that moment, Yasulachap, that I can't go on this way anymore and I have to change. And he went to his father. His father... I don't know what his father did, but I guess he was, uh, you know, Hashem of Alabas. And he goes home and he knocks on his father's study. And his father says, come in. Yasuo comes in. His father, like, picks up his head and says, is there a problem? Like, who do I owe money to today? What window did you break? What, uh, you know, what trouble did you get into today? He says, not they didn't get into any trouble. He says, so what do you want? He says... I want to go to a yeshiva, to like a real solid yeshiva. He says, tell me what the best yeshiva out there is, and I'm going to go, I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to shayib. He says, he says, what do you mean the best yeshiva? The best yeshiva in the world is Velazhin. Velazhin was the aim of yeshiva, so it was the mother of all yeshivas. To get into Velazhin, you needed to know a few hundred black gemara, Rashi Taisus Valpeh, he needed to be like a stellar, of stellar reputation. Rebchaim Melozhner, you know, was the Gadol Adar. And only the best of the best, the cream of the crop, went to Melozhner. He says, you think you're going to get into Melozhner? Are you crazy? You don't know an Aleph from a base. You've been kicked out of Yeshiva from day one. You never go to Yeshiva. Why do you all of a sudden think that you're going to be able to go to Melozhner? He says, Tati, stop, I know. I know all that you're saying is true, but I want, I'm determined to become a real Tamil Chacham now. I want to change. I'm sorry that I had such a bad hashpa. I'm sorry that I was a reflection on the family, but I want to now change and I want to go all the way. I'm not doing things in half measures. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I want to go to Velazhin. So his father didn't really necessarily see how that was going to happen, but he gave him money and he took, I don't know, a horse and buggy, however he got to Velazhin in those days. And he came to the city of Velazhin, he came to the famous yeshiva Velazhin with his bags, and he goes into the yeshiva and he knocks on the door of Rav Chaim Velazhiner, the Talmud Muvuk of the Vilna Gaim. And Yasala says to Rav Chaim Velazhiner, I want to come into the yeshiva. So Reb Chaim looks at him, he says, Okay, are you ready for your fahar? He says, um, what, what, what do you mean? He says, well, you can't just come into the yeshiva, you have to take a fahar. And the fahar involves, you know, knowing a lot of 
Gemara, Rashi, Taisus, Mishnah, what do you know? Let's, let's hear what you know. He says, Rabbi, I know nothing. I know nothing. I mamish don't know anything. So Chaim Lajner says, so, you know, what can I help you with? We're, 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 you know, you don't belong here. He says, Rabbi, I don't know anything, but I promise you that if you let me in and you trust in me, I'm going to surprise you beyond your wildest expectations. And Reb Chaim saw something in him apparently that, that was attractive, that he understood that here was something special. And what he did was, instead of sending him back home, he called in the top boys in yeshiva, the boys with the good hearts, and he says, you are going to learn with Yasala right after breakfast for 10 minutes. You're going to learn with him halacha. And you're going to learn with him Gemara. He doesn't know very much, but you're going to start him out at the beginning of breakfast and learn slowly. And you're going to learn at night Mishnahis with him. And you're going to learn Musa with him. And before long, Yasala was just like lapping it up. He was just drinking it down. And he was shas and him. And before you know it, like he was mamish Kimat, the top guy in Malajan, which is saying a lot. One day, there was a telegram that came from, or a letter, whatever it was back then, a letter that came from his mother. And the telegram basically said that your father is very ill and that you have to help him um, because you know he's in the hospital now he can't run the store you have to come home and help with a family business we need you and Yasla was very torn about this Mitzad Echad he was a, a good person he wanted to go home and help the family but Mitzad Shani he knew that his true calling was staying in Belajan and continuing his aliyah and he went to Reb Chaim and he showed him the letter and Reb Chaim says you're not going to you're not going to um, go home, you're going to uh, stay in yeshiva and then a couple of days later another letter came that there was a big fire in town and half of Slutsk burned down and the store that your father owned um, you know, is gone and we really need you now to come home and do something to help the family and again Reb Chaim says you have to stay here and then Another letter came. Your father was nifter. We need you to come home. First of all, you have to sit shiva at home and you have to come and help the family. Again, Reb Chaim Belajner, I know this is very hard to understand, but Reb Chaim Belajner, Baruch Chachai said, you have your top kid is to stay here. You're going to sit shiva and yeshiva and you're going to stay and you're going to learn. And he sat and learned for many, many years Basmada Atsuma. And he got married, and he had a family. And a few years later, there was a delegation from Slutz that came to Rebchaim Malajner, because the old Rav of Slutz was Nifter, and they needed a new Rav. And where else to find a new, young, great Tamachacham to be a rub of Slutz than Volajan. Volajan was like the greenhouse that was producing the greatest Hamid of their time. 
So they came to, to Reb Chaim Malajner, they were sitting in his office, and they said that they were looking for like a very who's going to be able to be Marbitz Tairam Slutz, and they're going to, he's going to be able to give Joshas and give Shiurim and, and change the, the, the Ruach in the, in, in, in the city. And Reb Chaim says, I have a perfect candidate for you. And he calls from the base Medrash, somebody should get Rabbi Yisif Mislutsk, and he comes in, and the people, some of them are like old enough to like sort of remember who this person was. He says, Sir Chaim says, let me introduce you to your new Rav. His name is Rabbi Yisif, and he actually, he actually comes from the city of Slutsk. And they all of a sudden, like they put it together, and they start schwitzing, you know, like, they remember all the hezek that this kid caused, all the damage, all the graffiti, all the violence, all the... And they said, that's Yasel of Slutsk? He says, we, we're still sitting from him, we're still shaking from him. So he says, that's good. You should shake for your new Rav. He's your new Rav. And they took him as the Rav of Slutsk, and he became Mamish from the biggest Rabbanim of his time, we have Svarim from him. It was put out recently, not, not too long ago, by Machan Yerushalayim, and Joshua's Rabbeinu Yisif Mislutsk. And that's the story. Baruch Barry used to say over this Maisa, and he used to say that you see how the Sahara has the ability, he's granted the license of burning down a whole town or a half a town just to get a buffer to stop learning Tyra. The Sahara burned down half of Slutsk in order to get Yaslov Mislutsk to come home and to assume, you know, the family business or whatever. Not that that would have been a terrible thing, but for Yasef himself, as Rebchaim Melajanar saw it, he was destined to be the Gadladar. So when I saw this verse from Yasef Mislutsk, I, I felt that there was something about it that struck me as being perhaps, it's a Huaya Eimer verse. You know, in, in Perkayavis, a lot of times the Mishnayas say, who are you, Aimer? And Mepharshim say, it's not just quoting a person, the Tana that said that bard in, in Pergeavis, but it's whenever it says, Who are you, Aimer? That means that his essence said it. He wasn't just saying a, a wise saying or a, a moral teaching. It was his essence. It was who, it was what defined him as a human being. Rabbi Yasef Mislutsk understood, I believe, that it's Re'e. It goes from a re'eh. If you start off just seeing yourself as an individual, it's not going to work. But you have to understand that whatever you do in life, it's lefnechem. You are having an impact on others. The turning point of Rabbi Yisrael's life was the moment that he heard this father telling his son that you are going to grow up to be like Yisrael Mislutz. At that point, he realized that it's not just me. I'm not just doing shtick that's affecting myself. Whatever I do, I'm impacting others. Whether I like it or not, I am a role model. L'tayv or l'mutav, whether it's for good or for bad, whatever we do in life is impacting profoundly on the people around us. And that's a very, very important understanding in life to go forward to understand that we're not alone we're not yechidim we're not like 
leave me alone. I have nothing to do with anybody else. I'm not a role model. Everybody should just like look at other people, but not at me. That's a nice fantasy to believe that whatever I do is not affecting anybody. But the reality is, is that whatever we do in life has a direct impact on somebody else. Rameir Shapiro, who is the founder of um, the yeshiva in, in uh, Chachmi Lublin, and he was, of course, the Miyasid of Dafyemi, he was once on a train with the Chavetz Chaim. And what happened was that the Chavetz Chaim was a world-famous celebrity. It's a, not a nice word to use, but that's what he was. He was the God Ladar, and everybody knew the Chavetz Chaim. When he was, when, once he gained prominence, once people knew who he was, and when he wrote the Mishnah Bura and Shmir Salosh, and the entire Jewish world was like, enamored by the Chavetz Chaim. He was known to be the Tzadik Adar, the God Adar. And in the olden days, they would take trains, and at every stop, there would be like a, uh, you know, like throngs of people when they knew that the Chavetz Chaim was coming to their town, just even for a momentary stop. If it was a five-minute stop, a ten-minute stop, throngs of people would be crowding by that train station and by every train station along the Chavetz Chaim's journey just to be able to catch a glimpse of the face of this tzaddik. And so the Chavetz Chaim often, you know, when he knew that there were many people waiting to see him, so he would go outside of the train for a few minutes and everybody would see him and then he would go back in. And then... One time on this train ride, he was in the car with Rav Meir Shapiro. And there was a stop, and there was like a thousand people outside of the car waiting to see him. And the Chavetz Chaim said to Rav Meir Shapiro, I'm not going out this time. And Rav Meir Shapiro said, why? So he said, because I'm afraid of Gaiva. It's very, you know, it, it, you feel good. You know, so many people want to see you, and you, know, you come out, and you feel like a you know, like a superstar. He said, no, no, it's, it's Gaiva and it's going gonna, it's gonna to taint me. And Rameer Shapiro says, Rebbe, isn't it Kedai to be tainted a little bit with Gaiva as long as you're able to be mashpia on so many other people? It's true that it might have a, a, a bad effect slightly on you, but you're mashpia on so many people. So many people are, they came out special to see you. Don't you owe it to them to give off a positive hashpah on them so that they shouldn't walk away disappointed? Isn't that worth something as well? And when the Chavetz Chaim heard this remark by Amir Shapiro, he instantly jumped up and he got off and he showed his face to the public. Because that's what a gadol does. A gadol is not somebody that just is concerned with his own his own growth and his own issues and whether it's gaiva or whether it's something else but a person has to be able to also understand that whatever we do in life is impactful on other people and sometimes it's to die to do things even if it's not going to be good for you personally just so that you're able to be mashpia with gaiva on others I recently saw a like a, a story that complements that one Rav Shach, Zechitzadik Ravracha, was also such a personality that 
when he was, you know, in his olden age, he was very, very, he was known that he was the Manigadar. I think Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Arabach said about Rav that there's never in the past 100, 200 years, there has not been a Manig. Klayisho has not had like a captain of the ship of the magnitude of Rav Shaft. And Rav Shaft was very old, like the Saif Yamav, he was like in, I don't know, it depends, not, not we don't know exactly how old he was because he went, he was born in war times and he lost his birth certificate, but it's, he was anywhere between 95 and 105, depending on, 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 you know, who you listen to. He didn't know himself, but just roughly, uh, he, was, he was probably well over 100 when he was, when he was Nifter. And he was old and he was frail and he was sitting in his study and somebody came in and says, Rebbe, I don't know if you remember, but I made a very big asifa of thousands of little children in Bnei Brak, a big siyam mishnayis. And I, I invited the Rashiva to come a couple of weeks ago and he said that you would try. And right now is when it's taking place. Would you mind if we drove you now and just to give like chizik to the Bafkram would be such a big schuss for thousands of little Yiddish kindalach to be able to see the God Ladar and to maybe give some words of chizuk that they were Messiah Mishnayis and if Shach says I'm, I'm very sorry I know that maybe I, I, I said that I would try it and I, I'm just I'm so tired I'm so old I'm so frail I just push it I, I don't have the energy to do it I'm sorry so the person you know walked away and thanked Rav Shach for trying and, and he was and he left and Rav Shach turned to his confidant that was in the room with him and he says do you think I did the right thing and you don't want to tell Rav Shach that he did the wrong, he did the wrong thing so he says Rabbi says, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to tell the Rosh Shiva whether he did something right or wrong but I want to tell Rebbe something that my father used to tell me. He says, my father went through the Shiva Madura Gehenim. He went through Mamish, all the levels of Gehenim through the war. And he was in Treblinka, and he was in Auschwitz, and he was in Bergen-Belsen. He Mamish went from camp to camp, and he saw the worst things. And many people went through those years, and they... They lost their bitachon, they lost their amuna, they had tainus on the rabbi Shalom, and they gave it all up. My father was able to stay very, very strong in his amuna, despite all that he saw. And when I used to ask my father, how in the darkest times of your life were you able to maintain that amuna pshuta? How were you able to maintain that abbas Hashem, that Yerushamayim? How? My father said, I'll tell you why. He says, because once when I was a little boy growing up, the Chavetz Chaim came to my town. My father took me to see the face of the Chavetz Chaim and his shining halo that was over his head and his Hadras Panim, his Ziv, the, the, the radiant glow that came out of that Sadiq stayed in my mind and through the darkest times of my life that was the light that kept me going that memory of seeing the Chafetz Chaim just once was able to 
reinforce my emuna, my bitachem, the rabbinic shalom. If there could be a yid so holy, like the Chavitz Chaim, with such a countenance, with such a beautiful ponim, I knew that there was a rabbinic shalom in the world. And as soon as Rav Shach heard what he was implying, Rav Shach says, come, let's go, take me to the Mishnah Yitzim. A person is not here for himself. A person is somebody who has to be mashpi on others. We are not put in this world for ourselves. Reb Chaim Malajna used to say, and it's brought in the Akdama of the Nefesh Chaim by his son. His son wrote a Akdama. Reb Itzlami Malajna wrote a Akdama to Reb Chaim Malajna's Sefer. And he said that my father used to say that not for yourself were you created. You think that you were created for you. Every person is thinking about himself day and night. That's all we think about. Isn't it true? We don't think, we, do we think about others? We think primarily about ourselves. That's human. doesn't mean that we're selfish. That's just the way it is. I'm thinking about what I'm eating for lunch. I'm thinking where I'm going for Shabbos. I'm thinking of what I'm going to do on Shabbos, what I'm going to learn, what I'm going to do in the summer, what I'm going to do for Parnassah. It's always about me. 99.9% of my life, I'm obsessing about myself. Reb Chaim Malajmi says, but you weren't put here for yourself. You were not put here for yourself. You were put in this world to help other people to the extent of your ability to do so. We were put here to help and to be mashpia, to influence others. That's why we're here. We're not here just for a mission of ourselves. We're here to, to reach out our arm and to help another person. That's why we were put here. It's A person has to see for himself, not himself as an individual, but it's lifnechem. Whatever you do, you're influencing so many others. It's a refocusing of our lives from ourselves, from looking inward constantly, to looking outward and seeing what we could do for our neighbors, for our friends, for our chavr. Ramesha Feinstein used to say that every day in Avarabba we say a Russian that Rishpachu should give us the ability to listen to Taira, to learn Taira, that I think we can all relate to. Ulalame means to teach Taira. And Ramesha asks, is that true? Does everybody is everybody a Malamed? If you're Zaycha, then you have uh, the ability to give a shear, to be a rabbi, to be a mashpia. But why does every, every Tom, Dick, and Harry says Lalamid? Why is that part of the tefillah? Lalamid, I'm a teacher? And Ramesha says, absolutely, you better believe it. We're all teachers. We are all teachers because everything that we do is a, is a lesson for other people. Whatever we do in our lives, believe it or not, people are watching us. And this is especially important to know when we're in yeshiva. So many times when we're in yeshiva, we have so much ability to help and to influence others. And very often, instead of doing it in a positive way, we do it in a negative way. 
I was a bacher also, so I know very well what it's like to have roommates. And roommates could either be the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. If you have a roommate that every morning gets up, like as soon as his alarm clock goes off, you know, he shuts it. Believe it or not, some people like shut it right away. They don't hit the snooze button 30 times. Somebody once told me a Bart that Hakol Kol Yaakov he says, the alarm going off, that's Hakol Kol Yaakov. That's the sound of Yaakov. Get up for davening. But when you take your hand and you slap it down, that's Hayadayim Yudei Esav. It happens every day. I mean, I, you know, I like snoozing it just because it's Kishnah. You know, I said it for much earlier than I want to wake up just because it's Kishnah to snooze it. You know, it's like you, get, you feel like you, you're like stealing sleep. But... But we know that if you have a, a, a roommate and your roommate gets up right away and he's like, you know, right away going and he's getting dressed and he's davening, it affects you. You feel like really guilty, like lying in bed like a lug, to, you know, to, you know while well, other people in the room are getting up. You also get up. But if, a per, if your whole room is sleeping, you know, now it's 7.30 and it's 7.45 and it's 8 o'clock and it's 8.30 then it's very hard for an individual to be the goody-goody and to like, okay, I'm the one that's going to get up. And if you can get up this time of year, like in the middle of the winter, it's really hard. It's cold out there and you just want to stay under the covers. You're a malamid. If you get up in the morning, it's not just good for you, which of course it is, but you're being mashpia on others. You're being machria your entire room, l'kavzchus. Because you're going to inspire others to follow you. If you're a masmid in yeshiva, your hasmada is not just for you. You're not just living for yourself. You're living for others. Your hasmada is going to be contagious. Everybody's going to want to be a masmid if you're the masmid. If you do chesed, Chesed is something that's also, if you do chesed and you show how you, you're taking food back to the dorm because somebody's not feeling well, or you're giving rides to people to go to a chasna, other people are going to also want to be like you. I once heard from a Rosh Yeshiva, who's a, you know, he's, a, he's like maybe 10 years older than me, maybe 8 years older than me, and I asked her, today is a very, very chashiva yeshiva, in a, in a very large yeshiva. And I asked him, like, why did, how did you, you know, you know, he was brought up in a community that was, you know, pretty modern. And he, didn't, he ended up going to, like, a very yeshiva, yeshiva and, he, and he just took off. And I said, like, why did you, how did this happen? Like, what was the evolution? He said, there was another boy in my community who went to that yeshiva and my father used to always observe that boy and see how nicely he davened now it's nice sometimes you see like a nice masifta boy yeshiva buffer like in you know who davens like hartzig with a you know with kavana it's such a like nice thing to see he says my father wasn't uh, my father saw that boy and says 
wherever he goes to yeshiva, that's where I'm sending you. A boy that could daven so nicely, I'm not going to send you to any other yeshiva but that yeshiva that he goes to. And because of that boy, I was sent to that yeshiva. And because I was sent to that yeshiva, that's how, you know, he grew in learning and he became a very big Rosh Shiva himself. But it's all in this chus of that other boy who probably has no idea, he doesn't know the story per se, but he's going to go up to Shemaim and he's going to realize that he was responsible for this bacher becoming a tremendous Marbet maybe with hundreds, thousands of Talmidim because of him. Because of he davened nicely when he was a bacher, he changed the universe. He might not realize it. When we daven, whether we daven in yeshiva or we daven in our communities at home, if you daven in a nice way, you don't know what that does, not just for yourself. Your davening is, is fine. It's good. But you are being, you're like emitting radioactive waves from yourself. And people see, people are watching you. And the same is true the other way. There are people that they go to shul and they're, they're talking in shul and they're making a really, really bad impression. And a person, a father, looks at this and this is Zutair, this is what I need my, my kid to, to go to a yeshiva that, that, to, be, to, to be a shmoozer in shul. And you might, because of you, a kid who, who might have gone to a good yeshiva, now he's not going to go there because the father is not inclined to send him seeing what you did. Now you don't know that you did that. You thought you were just shmoozing. You thought it was like a, an interpersonal conversation. It's between you and, and another person. And, and everybody else is like looking in their sitter. But it's not true. Whatever we do in life, we are constantly under a microscope. People are observing our behavior and they are reacting to our behavior. There is a re'eh, but the maturity is to understand that it's always lefnechem. It's always affecting others. We're constantly being mashpia on others. And it's a frightening thing. But that's the truth. The truth is that we are always responsible, not just for our behavior, but also for the behavior of the circle of friends and family around us. And I'm sure... I know that each and every one of you know this in your own life. When you act appropriately, people are impressed and people say, this is something great. I remember I went to a, uh, a chasna recently in Toronto. And Baruch Hashem, not to, I don't know if I'm giving a plug to our yeshiva or to Toronto, but the bachram that we have from Toronto are mamish like of a different sug. And the people in Toronto, they know that. And when I go to Toronto, I'm a shtigo rock star because people, uh, people know that, you know, I'm a shkirch in yeshiva, I'm involved a little bit in shidochim, and so, you know, people have single daughters, and they all want to meet me. There's like a line of people, Baruch Hashem, to, to see me when I get to, to they want, you know, and because they think, that because we have a few excellent boys in Toronto, that I have like 200 Torontonians in Yeshiva, which, you know, and we have many Bachman Yeshiva that are really good, but, you know, and, but the, 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 the impact, the impact of, of the Bachman, let's say, in Toronto on the community, everybody in Toronto knows that Lander College for Men is the place that I'm going to send my child when, when you know, when, when it's time for him to go to base Medrash. 
because they see the, the unbelievable boys that we have from Toronto. And the same is true in other places, in California, and in Atlanta, and in, and in, and in Montreal, and in, in Chicago. We have a great reputation, but the reason for our reputation is not because, you know, okay, it's partially because of me, but, but, but it's a lot because of the boys that are, that are there, that are in the community, and they see how they act on Shabbos and on Yantav Ben Azmanim in the summer, and they say, that's what I want my son to be. That's exactly what I want my son to be. So when you go home, you're being mashpia. When you wake up in the morning, you're being mashpia. When you learn in the base medish, when you walk in, a, in the street, when you're in a restaurant, we're constantly being mashpia on others in ways that we don't even realize. It's so scary. I remember a few years ago, there was a famous basketball player. And he's like one of the, one of the greats. And he was caught in a, in a scandal. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to tell you about it. I probably shouldn't know about it myself. But he said, he said a line. He said, you know, because like a reporter asked him, don't you know that so many little kids in America like have your poster hanging on their wall and they're like, they bought your sneakers because, you know, your name is on it and, and they're, they're sugar for you and, and this is what you do? Don't you know that you're, a, you're you know, many people are, are looking up to you as a role model? And he said the following, I don't know if he's wrong. He says, I never asked to be a role model. He says, I never, I, I'm a basketball player, I'm not a role model. They want to look at me like I'm, like I'm who knows what, that's their problem. I'm not a Roman. I never claim to be a Roman. I don't. I claim to be a good basketball player. I don't claim to be the Pope. I'm not like you know. It's not. That's not who I am. And not the Pope. Okay. <laughs> but and he's not wrong. Maybe. Maybe he's right. But a yid, a yid is not that. A yid always has to look at himself as being a role model because that's who, it's lalamed. We're all malamdim. Whether we signed up for it or we didn't, by definition, we have to know, and the Ramam tells us, and the Gemara tells us, and the Reis Mislutz tells us that it's whatever you're doing, you have to look at every mitzvah and every avera as if you're being machriya yourself and the entire world either L'schus or L'chayva, the whole world hangs in the balance of every single thing that we do. We are role models and much more than that. We are directly impacting the entire state of world based on the activities that we do every moment in time. One of the greatest lines of Rabbi Sel Salanter, Rabbi Sel Salanter you know, he was brilliant and he was the father of the Muslim movement but he also had like amazing wisdom I could fill up a whole book on just the quotes of Rabbi Sal Salanter one of the great lines of Rabbi Sal Salanter was the following he says like this he says when I was younger I wanted to change the entire world. My dream was to change the world. You know, so many times you hear kids and they say, when I grow up, I'm going to change the world. And it sounds really good. Rabbi Shal Salanta really wanted to change the world in a very, very profound way. He says, but I saw I wasn't successful. I tried. 
I wasn't, I wasn't able to, to proselytize and to change the entire world. He says, so then I, I sort of limited my, the scope of my dreams. He says, let me change at least my country. Forget the world. I'm going to change the country that I'm living in. And he said, I tried and I tried and I tried. It wasn't successful. He says, okay, scrap that plan. We're going to go to plan C. I'm going to change the city that I'm in. That's easy. I'll change Two Garden Hills. That's what I'm going to do. And I tried and I tried and I tried. He says, I wasn't successful. He says, okay, forget that. I'm going to change my family. My family is doable. It's in my house. I know them. They know my name. I'm, you know, we're close. We eat together. I'm going to try to change them. He says, it didn't go. It just sometimes, you know, things don't work. He says, and I was really, really disappointed. But then I did something different. I tried a different tactic. He says, I started working to change myself. And then he says, something really magical started happening. When I changed myself, all of a sudden my family started to change. And once my family started to change, the community started to change. And once the community started to change, my country started changing, and eventually the entire world changed. Change the world through changing ourselves. You could change a world. A single individual can change a world. That's how powerful we are. But it doesn't start by, okay, I'm going to do NCSY, I'm going to do JEP, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, I'm going to go out, I'm going to change everything. No, no, no. First, you've got to change yourself. If you change yourself and you work really well in Yeshiva now, on your mitas, and on your mitzvahs, and on not doing the wrong things, or trying as best as we can not to, and being really, really good people, and this is the place to do it. And this is the time of our lives to do it. If you wait to get to my age or you wait to get to your grandparents' age, it's too late. Change is best when you're young. You're still malleable. You're still impressionable. You're still alive. You're still inspired. You're, you're motivated. You can change so easily. And when you change yourself and you really work hard on looking internally and seeing what I could fix then you're suddenly able to be on so many other people you don't know the ripple effect of life and how when you do something positive how people around you are changed and affected and influenced your family completely changes how many people do we know that there was a child that you know, started becoming more religious and as a result of the child becoming more religious, all of a sudden the parents started keeping Shabbos and the siblings started getting from her and the entire family, the complexion changed because of one individual just being himself and doing the right thing. That is the power that an individual has to change the world. It's not just us. We can't look at ourselves as individuals. We have to understand that everything that we do people are looking at us and people are really going to be changed one way or another. If you're going to do the right thing, people are going to follow you. If you make wrong decisions, 
and you say, what? Well, I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, you know, in the dorm room, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna go there. You don't think that people are going to see you and say, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna do that also. Of course they will. Every single life that you could change, that you could positively influence, is a whole world in and of itself. There's a nice story that I read recently about a little boy who went on a, uh, in the early morning hours to a beach. And on the beach, there were like thousands of starfish that the tide had brought into the beach. And the tide was not carrying them out in time, and they were all in danger of dying because a starfish can't live outside of the water for too long. So this little boy made it his job to bend down and to like throw a, the starfish one at a time back into the water. And an older person comes and asks this boy, what are you doing? And he explained that you know he's trying to save these starfish from dying because the, they're out of the water, they're not able to get back, and I want to save their lives. And this man looks at him and says, it's so silly what you're doing. Don't you see that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish on the, on the shoreline? He says, you really think that you're going to make a difference? And this little boy, like, matter-of-factly, bends down and he throws another starfish into the water and he says, to that one it made a difference. Every person that we're able to be mashpia, we could mamish save a life. There are so many people in our generation that need chizuk. They need help. They need help. And you as an individual are able to go and be mechayim eisim mamish. Mechayim eisim. How many times do we see a friend, a chavrusa, a roommate, and something is on his mind? Do you know that if you go and you put your arm around his shoulder and you say, let's schmooze, let's take a walk together, let's take a drive somewhere, let's go and eat somewhere together, and you allow that person to vent a little bit or to share their tsaras with you, do you know what a, what a lifelong change you can affect in that person? Do you know that you could change a person from being somebody that's, that's not a mensch and you can make him into a mensch? You can make him into a viable human being. You don't have to be a mashkiach to do that. You don't have to be a big uh, inspirational speaker to do that. You don't have to be a rebbe to do that. Just by being a good friend, you could literally change the trajectory of somebody's life. One person at a time. And to that one person, that person is an ilam. Because you've changed that person, that person is going to be able to now feel good about themselves. They're going to be able to feel good enough to go out and get married, to go out and get a job, to have family. And those family, those children are going to be healthy and, and, and good people because they have parents that are healthy, good people. And before long, you could have hundreds and thousands of people that you have changed because you were just, you weren't a superhero. You just did a regular act of kindness, but you were able to change a world. These are the words of Chaim Velazhner. A person was not 
put here for ourselves, but rather to help other people to the extent that we're able to do so. And there is no greater, greater place in the world, a microcosm of the world outside, than yeshiva. If you get this right in yeshiva, if you're able to work on this exact mida on yeshiva, and there's so many opportunities. There's opportunities here to help people in Gemara that are floundering in Gemara. I don't know how to learn. I'm not getting sheer. I'm not ready for the for the bechina. I'm not, you know, I'm just like sheer starts, and I just I lose track, and I, I just can't, and I don't know anything. I want to learn bekiyas. Nobody here to help me. I want to learn halacha with somebody. I want to learn musr with somebody. And you're able to go and say, I'm happy to learn with you. I'm happy to give of my time. It's true I could be learning on a higher level. But Meisher Feinstein writes in a tshuva that just like there's a chiv to give meiser ksafim, you have to give, you make, I remember, you know, when I was a little kid, I made, every time I made money in whatever way I did, and I was all excited, you know, I, you know, I made $10, I made $20, I'd come home and tell my father about it, I thought he would, you know, be very proud of me, which... He might have been, but before he even got there, he says, okay, take Meister. Meister? You know, $10, yeah, yeah give me a dollar. Put it in, put it in the pushka. That's like 10% of what I just made. Yeah, 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 put it in the pushka. So I stopped telling him when I made money. <laughs> but, um, so Meister says the same way that there's a chiv to take Meister of your money, there's a chiv to take Meister of your time to help others. So if you have, let's say, you're learning five hours a day, so you have to take a tenth of five hours, whatever that is, uh, say half an hour, and you have to um, and, and learn with others that amount. Now, that sounds like a lot of my day, but you know that 10% of your day is probably, in a sense, maybe more valuable than the other 90% of your day because by changing the life of somebody else, you don't know how you could affect another person. There's a, one of the most fabulously successful people that I know. You know, that everybody's mishabech is their kareo mishtach of mamish. Because he's like, he has a huge corporation, he's like a gazillionaire. And when he was in college, he, I mean, this guy is not a, he's, he's far from brilliant at all, which is not surprising. The wealthiest people I know are, 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 probably the least smart people that I know. It's, there's no correlation between being intellectually smart and making money. There's no, uh, there's no, it's, it's not a guarantee. You could have a PhD in, in quantum physics and not make, and not be able to make a Parnassus, and then you could have dropped out of elementary school and been, been a millionaire. There's absolutely no correlation. It's all up there by But there's this guy that's fabulous to say, but and he could not get through college. And you know, and and I was, and I used to tutor him for free. He asked me if I would mind going. You know, I don't remember it was statistics or accounting or whatever, and I knew it, and he didn't. And I was helping. I helped him get through college. Not, I didn't. I'm not saying that I was like the only reason he got through college. But he, you know, today he's like he don't. He passes by me on the street, won't even look at me because you know I'm not in his tax bracket. But I was the guy that got him through college. And. You have an obligation. There's a guy in your class that's not doing well and you're, you're much better. Sit down with the guy and help him get through. So that someday he'll be able to be successful and it'll be because of you. If a guy is depressed, if a guy is lonely, don't make this cool click 
and you know, it's only I'm only going out with my friends that are cool and with it and whatever. Went to my yeshiva. Find the guy. I always tell this to my. If you think I'm just preaching to you, I, I preach to my kids also. I don't do it myself, but I preach to my kids also. And I say to them before they go to sleepaway camp. This year, Baruch Hashem, we sent three kids to sleepaway camp. I had a talk with each and every one of them, and I said to them, "I want you to have a great time in camp." But there will be a girl, I said that to the girls, or a boy to the boy. I said, there will be a kid in your bunk. There's always that kid in every bunk. That's the loner. That's the loner. That doesn't have anyone that wants to play with them. He's the last guy chosen for the team. And your obligation, I'm sending you to sleepaway camp on one night that you make that kid feel special. That that kid you make into the hero of the bunk. That kid should be the first kid chosen on the team. That kid should be the first kid chosen for production and in the sing and in the color war and whatever. If you're able to do that, I'm sending you to camp. And if you don't do that, then you have failed. This is what we're here for. What are we doing everything for? We're we doing it for ourselves that we should be the, the heroes of color where we should be the trophy winners, we should be the champions. It's worth nothing unless we're able to be cognizant at all times of the people around us that need us. We, we are mashpia by osmosis, by doing the right things, by waking up in the morning for davening and by learning with us modern, by not being mevatel, and by doing the right things at all times, people are seeing it. But it's much more direct. In our dar, we don't always have the luxury of just working with osmosis. We have to actually do outreach. And we don't have to do outreach out in Yehuppet. We could do outreach in the base Medrash Mamish. And if we're able to learn how to do that here, we take that out with us to the world at large. And when we're married, we're able to have people invite Aniyam to our table, give tzedakah with an open hand, find people in the community that need assistance of whichever way, and help them out, learn with people, daven with people, give shiurim to people, be on people. It starts here. If you're not getting it here, it ain't happening after you leave yeshiva. The people that are matzliach in life were matzliach in yeshiva. And the people that after they leave yeshiva are not matzliach, chances are it's because they never really started when they were in yeshiva. It starts with a yachid, but you're not a yachid. The parasha is telling us you are far from a yachid. If you look at yourself like a yachid, you have failed in your mission. It's all kolo. The brachas come when you're able to see yourself as a lefnechem. That whatever thing I do, I realize it's not me. There are many, many others that will be affected by whatever I do. And I want to change the world one person at a time, both directly and indirectly. In the Mitzvah Hashem, when we do that, we'll be zeichet to all the brachas, haksubes patayra, we'll be able to be zeichet, have a wonderful chaydesh elol, very rare to have an entire long Chaydesh El in Yeshiva. Normally, I think I was just talking to a Rebbe last night. I had to make up, I, in general, I make up a new schmooze whenever I can every parashah. But I always have as a backup, I have a whole, these are my famous index cards, and I have many 
card file boxes of thousands of index cards. So if I'm ever like, you know, very busy and I can't, so I'll, I'll come, I'll, I'll bank on something in the freezer, I'll take out something from the freezer and, and reuse it. But I don't like doing that. But for Parashas A, I was looking just to see what I had, and I have nothing. I think this is the first schmooze I've ever given Parashas A because it's never been so early that we've started. So that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes we start Mamash a week before Rosh Hashanah. We have no Elul. We have no, and we fly right into Rosh Hashanah. This year we have a whole Kaidish Elul to work on ourselves, to work together with one another, to do tshuva together. And Mirza Hashem, we should all be Zaycha to be Matzliach this year, this month. And, uh, and we should be Zaycha all to have a Ksiva Chasimataiva and a wonderful new year.